Let's pray. Lord, we do come now into your presence and ask that you would give us hearts of adoration, lips of praise, minds given to the truth that is the good news of Jesus Christ. As we come tonight to hear from your word, to hear about how Jesus did and fulfilled and met all the requirements of your covenants, we come to adore you and to adore him because of it. Give us those hearts and those minds and that will. And to the glory of your name, let us be a light in this dark world so that others will come to that same place of faith. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good evening. Merry Christmas. Tonight's first Old Testament reading are selected verses from Genesis 1 through 4. And you can find it on page 4. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And it was so. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have deceived the woman, cursed are you above all livestock. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, that you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. So tonight's service is entitled A Covenant Christmas. A Covenant Christmas. What do we mean by that? What are we talking about tonight? Well, Presbyterian and Reformed churches have for centuries now been known for one of many things we're known for, but one of those things is taking a view of Scripture that's often called covenant theology. Covenant theology. And in an essence, in short, what this means is that we see in the scriptures this series of covenants, of relationships that God establishes between himself and mankind. God steps in 
and establishes the terms and conditions by which we might have a relationship with him. And throughout the centuries, there has been hope in those covenants, hope for that relationship. And each of those covenants gives way to the other and builds upon the others until eventually there's all this excitement about this baby born in Bethlehem, this son of Mary. We have to ask ourselves, what makes one baby's birth particularly noteworthy? Well, something interesting was happening. For a long time, many people were looking forward to the birth of a child. And over time, as their hope and their excitement and their anticipation for this child kept being disappointed, their hope began to wane. It's the old crying wolf thing. You cry wolf too many times, you start to lose interest. And eventually the people began to lose their hope that the promised one would come. Well, you want to make sure that something doesn't get missed. You want to make sure that something is just not marked out as ordinary. You send a choir of angels. And so the Lord sent a choir of angels to make sure that the birth of this particular child was not missed. But that still doesn't explain why this particular child was so longed for, so awaited. Well, I've got to tell you a little bit more about how these covenants work. If we're going to understand the scriptures, and we're going to understand Christmas, we have to understand at least a little bit about covenants. Covenants in the ancient world were modeled after the covenants that God made with mankind. And these covenants had a lot of different things to them, but they always had at least two components. One was a set of uh, stipulations that if they were met, there would be blessing. And then there was a, a set of threats or curses that if the covenant were violated, would befall the covenant breaker. Did you hear the blessings in here? Did you see where it said, God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them, and God blessed them. And it goes on to give stipulations. God said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, and fill the earth. If you will do these things, if you will fill this creation I have made with Worshippers, I will bless you. That is one component of all these covenants. A set of stipulations with the promise of blessing. I said there also, though, though, there were warnings and threats of curses. That one may have jumped out at you in our reading here. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, You shall surely die. There it is. A set of blessings that come with stipulations and a warning of curses for violating the covenant. You're going to die. But there was something else that happened in these covenants. If that's the way of the covenants, if that's the nature of the covenants, then we need to notice that in the midst of this, there was a promise of a new covenant. Perhaps you missed it. Eve did not. Eve caught it. To the woman, God said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbirth. I have watched my wife give birth. And my wife is an intelligent woman. And it's for that reason that I am baffled we ever had a second child. (laughs) 
I don't understand how any woman goes through this more than once. And as bad as that is, Eve noted in the back of her mind, but wait a second, that's still better than the curse that was warned. It's not that pain in childbirth and pain in child rearing and all the pain she would experience with Cain and Abel was a good thing, but God had said, you're going to die. And there seems to be something of a reprieve. Huh. Then God turns to her husband, Adam, and he says to him, you know, because of what you have done, cursed is the ground. By pain you shall harvest from it what you need to live. By sweat and toil shall you make your living. There'll be thorns and thistles. And any of us who've ever had a job, whether it be uh, you know, employment for a paycheck or working hard at home, any of us who have ever had a job know that the work of this world is beset by thorns and thistles, by difficulty. But again, as terrible as that is, it's not death that very day. And Eve notes there's something of a reprieve here. But Eve also heard the promise buried in the curse of the serpent. Did you hear it? Did you hear what God said to, Eve, to the serpent? This is why Eve is so excited. This is why she gets so excited. That very last line, let me go back, look at that last line of that reading, and let me give you a very literal translation of the original Hebrew. Eve yells out this, I have made a man with Yahweh. I have made a man with the Lord. And in fact, one Hebrew scholar has pointed out that Cain, that name, sounds like and could possibly mean He's here. I've been waiting for this one, and he's here. Why is Eve so excited? Why is it that she declares the wonders of having made a man with the help of the Lord? Because she heard what the Lord said to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Eve recognized the reprieve that had been granted. That God didn't kill us this very day. At least not physically. And more than that, God slipped into this. The idea that somebody was going to come from me and make it all right. Somebody was going to come and fix it. Stamp out that bad old serpent and put everything okay. That's why she's so excited when Cain comes. Because she believes God. Now she gets it wrong. Cain was not the one who would fix everything. Wow, did she get it wrong. If you know the story of Cain. But nevertheless, her hope was in the promise of God. And she said, here he is. I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now that's interesting wording. Where else do we hear that? That a woman comes to be with child with the help of the Lord. And we recognize that in Christmas, that in the story of the birth of Jesus, we hear about the one who will give birth with the help of the Lord and the child that will come from him. This is why the angels sang in celebration. This is why we rejoice at Christmas, because the promise of making it right that Eve heard that day 
is fulfilled in Jesus. Let's hear now the excitement of the angels when Jesus came. New Testament reading is from the book of Luke, chapter 2, verses 8 to 14. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, for unto you is born a child. I'm sorry, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Well, we're not going to yell out like Eve did, he's here. But we are going to stand and turn to page six in our bulletin and sing, Joy Has Dawned. All right, so Aubrey is going to do our next reading. But before she does, she's got something here. Hold it up, Aubrey, for everybody to see. So where did that come from? Well, actually, where did this piece of paper come from? Do you guys do make that somewhere? In our classroom. Sunday school class? Okay, and hold it up so everybody can see it again. So that's a rainbow, I take it? What's the meaning of that rainbow? Here, you don't have to hold that anymore. We'll do this with it. It's a promise that God made. It's a promise that God made. So can you tell us more a little bit about that promise? Um, actually, I'm about to read it. Wonderful. Right Please do. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I have established my covenant with you, and your offspring after you. And with every living creature... That is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. And as for every beast of the earth, I have established my covenant with you, and ever again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and ever again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you, and every living creature that is with you. For all the future generations, I have set my bow and the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth, and the bow is seen in the clouds, I remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Very nicely done. Well done. Thank you for that reading. So I call this little homily here a sea change. If you've been here for any length of time, you know I I don't like titles. I'm not good at entitling my sermons, but I like this one. This one is particularly clever. A sea change. Get it? The whole world was flooded. The whole world was a, a sea, and then it changed to dry ground. And sea change means there's a significant shift. 
Things are going to be radically different after this. So, so sea change was pretty clever. I'm pretty proud of it. I can see none of you are as impressed. Emily smiled. Thank you, Emily, for that little grin. I appreciate that smile over there. But the rest of you aren't appreciating my cleverness. Anyway, so what is the sea change that occurs at the time of Noah? What changes in the Noahic covenant? Well, what was the curse for breaking the covenant? It was death. Remember what God had said? You break the covenant and you shall surely die. And God demonstrates that in a dramatic way. He wipes out almost everybody. Because they deserve it. But notice that God does not come up afterwards and say, well, good riddance to bad trash. You just got what you deserved. That's not what he says. He says, never again. Never again will I give everyone what they deserve. I'm going to look down, and when I see the rainbow, I'm going to remember the sea change in my relationship with you human beings. Or to be sure, there will be a time when many will get what they deserve. But never again will everyone get what they deserve. That is a significant sea change. Well, everyone deserves condemnation and destruction. Never again will God give them all what they deserve. Oh, yes, judgment is coming, but many will receive grace and mercy. It's given to those who, like Eve, believe in the promise, who, like Eve, hope in the one that is being sent. And they get life, not life they earned, but they get life anyway. We're going to listen now. It's Josh Mullaney. You got something there for us there, bud? Josh Mullaney is going to come and tell us about the sea change. Tell us about how the coming of Jesus changes everything. Dual aids. Got to love it. Our New Testament reading, Romans 5, verses 15 through 17. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God. And the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. The judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Thank you. Well, what a sea change indeed. From death for all to a gift that brings life. Let's sing about this by standing and turning to page nine of our bulletins. We'll sing, O Little Town, followed by Wild Shepherds. The Old Testament reading is from the book of Genesis, chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And you, all the families of the earth, shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and took Sarai, his wife, 
and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Moriah. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. The New Testament reading is from Galatians 3, verse 16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Well, that New Testament reading could not have tied back to the Old Testament reading any more clearly. Paul says very plainly. The promises we've just heard made to Abraham are to be fulfilled in the one offspring, singular, of Abraham, Jesus Christ. But for us to fully understand what is going on there, for us to fully understand what Paul says about Jesus fulfilling this covenant, we need to understand a bit more about this Abrahamic covenant. There is another sea change, if you'll allow me to use that again, another significant shift. Have you paid attention to what was required? Perhaps with the Noahic covenant, you missed it because it's a long covenant. We didn't read all of it. But here's what's been happening. To Adam, God has said, be fruitful, increase in number, and fill the earth. To Noah, when he gets off the ark, He says almost exactly those same words. Be fruitful, increase in number, and, if you will, refill the earth. The command is the same. But do you catch the shift here with Abraham? Oh, there's still in view a large number of people. There's still to be a whole bunch of worshipers on the earth. But it's not a command to Abraham to accomplish it but a promise to Abraham that God would accomplish it. I will make you a great nation. Now that's a significant change. But there's more that happens here. There's more that goes on in this change. To Adam, God said, rule over, have dominion. We heard about the read, we heard in the Genesis reading over all the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea and the creatures on the land, have dominion, rule over them, conquer the chaos. I have given you a little starting place called Eden. You need to conquer the rest of the chaos. And to Noah, the same command is given, to have dominion and to rule over. But to Abraham, there's another change. It's not, you need to go conquer this land. Let's go to the promised land, and then let me tell you what you need to conquer. No, he takes Abraham to the, conquer, to the promised land and says, I will give this to your offspring. A down payment of all that I'm going to give to my people. And again, there's dominion in view, there's conquering in view, there's ruling over in view, but again, it's not Abraham who has to accomplish it. 
but rather God will do it for him. You know, it's interesting, though, that's not it. That's not all of it. God comes back some years later, chapter 15 of Genesis. God comes back and reaffirms the covenant. He comes back to Abraham and confirms the covenant. But this time he adds a visual aid. It was commonplace in those covenants back then that when you got to the part about the curses, the terrible things that had happened if you break the covenant, that they would create a visual aid. Usually animals that would be slaughtered and dismembered and their dead carcasses strewn upon the ground. And God says to Abraham, get a heifer and a goat and a ram. I could not find heifers or goats or rams, but in light of this time of year, I have some elves. These are the Keebler elves. I couldn't find North Pole elves. But nevertheless, and God says to Abraham, take them and kill them and dismember them and put them on the ground. I may get a little bit of E.L. fudge on my fingers. But when Abraham is doing this, it's a bloody mess. There's blood and guts and entrails everywhere. And Abraham's got to be thinking to himself, I know how these covenants go, Lord. I get what's going to happen. You're going to make me stand in there. And the picture is a simple one. If I break the covenant, then that's going to happen to me. I'm going to be hacked up into pieces on the ground like these elves. But then something amazing happened. God says to Abraham, no, don't stand in amongst them. Just wait a while here. And like Tigga picking up crumbs of elves off the floor, the vultures begin to swoop in, and God says, no, 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 don't let that happen. And Abraham fights off the vultures, and then night falls. And then night falls. Oh, here comes the night. There we go. And in the midst of the night, let's go ahead and kill this one also, Caleb. And in the midst of the night something amazing happens. A torch appears. Out of nowhere, a flaming torch. But that's not all that happens. The torch begins on its own to move about. I've got to move slowly or I'll extinguish my torch. And then something astounding happens. The torch goes in amongst the slaughtered elves and puts itself among them. Now, how did God appear to his people in the desert? By night as a pillar of fire? By day as a pillar of cloud? The fire is the presence of God. And the picture is clear. Abraham had his jaws had to be hanging open. We should be amazed at this picture. God doesn't make Abraham stand among the slaughtered animals as a picture of what will happen to him if the covenant is broken, but rather God puts the flame of his presence there and says, it'll be done to me. If this covenant fails, if this covenant is broken, then I will be broken. My body slaughtered. My blood spilled out. Not yours or your descendants, Abraham. What kind of child is this? 
What child is this that would come to die? What kind of child is this who would not live out a normal life like you and I live out, not in hopes of getting certain gifts, but in only in the hope of giving gifts, and not just, by, not just giving gifts by the virtue of coming, but because of his perfect life, lived for us, not for himself. And then his death, he's the one broken, his blood is spilled out, not ours. This is truly an amazing child. Let's stand together and sing, what child is this? Our next... Old Testament reading comes to us from the 18th chapter of Deuteronomy, verse 18. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Now our next New Testament reading comes from the Gospel according to John, the first chapter, the first 17 verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So God says to Moses, listen, I'm going to replace you someday. I'm going to raise up a prophet from among my people, from among your brothers, who will be the perfect prophet, the transcendent prophet. A prophet, of course, is simply the mouthpiece of God, a messenger who speaks on behalf of God, who brings the word of God, which is why Centuries later, John picks up where we have read tonight and says, Jesus was that word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And he came, and he dwelt among us. In the coming of Jesus, the prophecy about the one who would be the perfect prophet is fulfilled. The one who is the very embodiment of the word of God. Now John goes on in his very poetic account of Christmas and says this. He says, from him, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. What's that about? How can that be? What's going on there? Well, you'll recall that Eve saw 
in the curse that God pronounced, they reprieve. That she saw that God did not execute her and her husband that very day. That while there was spiritual death, there was a retention of physical life, through which there might be an apprehension again of spiritual life. And she saw the promise of the one who would come and crush the serpent and make everything right. How can that be? What does it take to make it all right? How do you move from God's naughty list to his nice list? Well, you've got to do everything perfectly. You see, I imagine that was one of the complaints of the people by the time Moses rolls around. We just were reading and talking about the Mosaic Covenant here. And the people have got to be a little fed up with God. Come on, God. You put Adam and Eve in the garden and they failed. They couldn't do what you required of them. And then you gave Noah a second chance. You wiped the earth clean and you created a second opportunity. And they couldn't do it. They, he failed and his descendants. Then you take Abraham and you put him in a new land and you tell him you're going to give it to him. But that hasn't happened You can't keep holding us accountable when you don't tell us what you want from us. It's kind of vague. Be filled, fill the earth, increase the number, fill the earth. How full is full, God? What do you want from us? And in the law, through Moses, came a detailed accounting of what God wants from us. It's a way to get on the nice list. Do everything required. And so he gives us the Ten Commandments, the moral law. This is what I would like your character to be like. This is how I would like you to think and to act and to talk. How I'd like you to treat each other and treat the world. And he gives the people the civil law. This is how I'd like my people in corporate behavior together to conduct themselves. And he gives the ceremonial law. This is the way that I would like my people to worship me come with a certain number of lambs and a certain number of sheep and a certain number on this day and on that day and do that. Now, some of us today recoil at that. We just say, oh, that's not a gracious God at all. That's not gracious. That's demanding. Let me ask you this. Tomorrow morning, if you open all of your gifts and everything there, not one of them was on your list. Not one of them was in the letter that you wrote a couple of weeks ago and mailed to the North Pole. Not one thing did you get. You're going to be gracious and say, well, yeah, it's just what's important is that they gave me something. That's all that matters. I don't know what this is. I don't know how I'm supposed to wear it. It isn't my color. It's not my size. I don't seem to be able to return it, but I'm really glad I got it. No. Inside, you're going to be going, nobody loves me enough to care what I asked for. Nobody loves me enough to bother to look at the list and see what I actually wanted. Before we say that God is ungracious when he demands things of us, let's think about how we are going to act tomorrow morning. Certainly Almighty God has a right to say, no, this is how you bring gifts to me. This is how you come to me. This is how you love me. So how is this possible? How is it that through Jesus we get grace upon grace? Because if the law, if the law of Moses gives us all these things we have to do, well, that actually multiplies our problem. We can't do them. But you see, that's what John says. John is writing years and years later after Jesus has ascended into heaven, and he's reflecting back and he's going, do you understand what happened? Jesus came. He didn't just come to show us how to keep the law of Moses. 
He didn't come to be for us an example. He came to do it, to actually keep it. The God-man lived out all that was required in the moral law. Did everything that was needed by the civil law. Worship perfectly according to the ceremonial law. And not only that, he bore all the curses of the law. Remember, we said covenants have two parts. They have a blessing that comes with some stipulations. Jesus met all the stipulations and therefore there is blessing to be had. But there are also curses when we fail the covenant. And we had failed the covenant. And in Jesus, all of God's wrath was poured out on him. And John reflects and says, that's how we can get grace upon grace. That's how we can be the children of God. Because he did it. The God-man did all that was required. And what does he say there? So that all that has to happen is this. Accept it. Just accept that. Stop striving to get on the nice list and accept that Jesus got there for you. And he says, those who will believe that, those who will simply believe that, that Jesus met the requirements and moved me over to the nice list, that Jesus paid all that I owed for having been on the naughty list. And John says, with that, with simply accepting that, just believing that to be true, it happens. And you are given the power to become children of God, inheritors of all the wealth, the descendants who will get all of the riches that are God's. You want to get off the naughty list and onto the nice list, you just accept that Jesus did it for you. He met all the requirements of the Mosaic law, fulfilled all that was uh, spelled out in its punishments and took our place. That is a Christmas gift. That is the gift everybody needs. It's the gift that's going to fit. It's the gift you don't already have in your closet, and it's the gift you're never going to need to return. It is the perfect gift. We're going to stand and look at page 13 of our bulletins, and we're going to join the herald angels in singing the glory of the one who did all of this for us. Please be seated. Praise God, I'm on the nice list. That's all I can say. Through Jesus, right? Through Jesus, oh yes. Thank you, Jesus. From God's holy word, Christ and the Davidic covenant in the Old Testament reading, 2 Samuel 7, 8 to 16. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly 
from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Amen. Well, isn't this interesting? To Moses the prophet, God promised that one would come as a new prophet. And now to King David, God promises a king. We see here a little bit of a pattern. It's not hard for, I mean, it can be hard for us in this country to imagine what a big deal of this is. Let's try to transpose ourselves back into the ancient world for a moment. Where there wasn't a great deal of stability, the concept of international law didn't exist. The idea that superpowers like the United States would protect you and your borders if another country invaded. No, there was always political turmoil. There was always upheaval. You'd establish, maybe you'd have a powerful king who would run your country for 40 years if you happened to be lucky. But then it was going to be chaos when he died. There was going to be constant instability. And with that instability, that political instability, came economic instability. And so your life was constantly in upheaval, your lives and your children's lives. But here's a promise of an everlasting kingdom. Again, it's a little hard for us to imagine today, but think about what that would have meant. If the king lives forever, there's never going to be a struggle among his sons to inherit his throne. If the king lives forever, there's never going to be a time of a power vacuum where your neighbors think, oh, it's a good time to invade. If the king lives forever, there's going to be stability and economic prosperity. If the king reigns forever, it's a pretty bright situation, a pretty hopeful situation. And that's the promise. This king who will reign forever. But it's interesting how it turns at the end there. In the midst of all of this description of this perfect king, God says, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. The perfect and everlasting king will be punished by God. We've already considered why. We've already taken up this issue. The curses of the covenants had to be poured out on a man. Mankind had broke the covenants, and so mankind had to bear the curses of those covenants. And so God pours them out on this one, on the one promised here. God pours out his discipline against sin on the one promised to David. It was this king which was promised to Mary. It is this king 
we get a glimpse of in the book of Revelation. And so now we're going to listen as we hear and consider the New Testament's account of the king promised to David. Merry Christmas. The first reading is from Luke 1, 30 through 33. And Gabriel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Revelation 5, 5 through 14. Behold, the Lamb of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders I saw a lamb standing, as though it had been slain. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. And they saw a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. The one who did come as a little baby, as a king, does eventually reign and receive all honor and glory and praise forever and ever. Let's stand now and turn to page 15 and sing of that king. Thou didst leave thy throne. From Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after the For this is a covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will give for I will for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Thus says the Lord, If the heavens above can be measured, and the foundations of the earth below can be explored, then I will cast off all the, cast off all the offspring of, of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when this city shall be rebuilt for the Lord. It shall not be plucked up or overthrown any more. 
forever. Well, there is the hope of the new covenant that the city will no longer be overthrown, that it'll be rebuilt and it'll be established and it'll be established forever. There has been the promise of a king who would reign forever and now there is the promise of a city that will endure forever. What an amazing point we have reached in this whirlwind tour of the covenants. To Adam was given a simple set of commands. Be fruitful, increase in number, rule over, have dominion and don't eat of that tree. And he failed. He could not keep that covenant. And Noah was given a second chance. God scoured the earth, wiped it clean. He said, here's a fresh start. Try again. And he and his children failed. And to Abraham, God said, well, I'll pick you up and I'll put you in a new land. And I will step in and accomplish these things for you. But those people couldn't do what was required either. Through Moses, God said, let me spell it out more plainly what I want of you. Let me lay before you a detailed accounting of what I expect from you. And we got what we consider the law, what we call the law, a description of what God wanted. And yet even with that clear instruction, the people failed. So he comes to David and says, listen, I'm going to eventually raise up for you one who will reign on your throne. And some people scratched their heads and wondered if that had failed. Yeah, the Davidic dynasty was long by any earthly accounting. Over 400 years was David and his sons on the throne. Significantly longer than most of the the best dynasties that Egypt ever had. Almost twice as long as the longest dynasties in Egypt. And yet, 400 years isn't forever. And it collapsed. And people wondered. God ever going to keep any of his covenants? Are any of these things ever going to be fulfilled? And through the prophet Jeremiah, God said, yes. Yes, I'm going to fulfill them all. I'm going to do it. But it's going to be different than you expected. I'm going to come and no longer will there be laws written on stone tablets, but I'm going to write my law on the hearts of my people. And those of us who have been redeemed, those of us who know Jesus, we know that desire to do what is right. And we begin to see his law bubbling up from inside of us and our desire to keep it. And God says, listen, in that day when that covenant comes to be, everyone will know me. It won't be a privilege for the prophets or the priests. You know, we forget that in that world, they couldn't just pick up their Bible and read about God. They didn't have a copy of the scriptures. They couldn't just go, you know, to flip through the internet and get, like, download some sermons to listen to while they were out jogging. Knowing the Lord was something that was kind of limited. But through the prophet Jeremiah, God says, there's coming a day. There's coming a day when you will all know me. It won't be just for those who are at the upper echelon of of my society. It'll be for everyone. I'm going to make my word known to all of you that you can be blessed by knowing me through my word, through Jesus. And then there's something else that's amazing in there. God says through Jeremiah, I will be their God 
and they shall be my people. I'm going to strip away the layers of prophets and priests that exist between me and you. And you say, God, why did you ever put them there in the first place? Well, we forget. We wanted it. Back in Exodus 20, when God came down to meet with his people to tell them what he wanted from them, the mountain shook and the voice of the Lord was heard in the clouds. The people went, oh, good, God's talking to us. No, they said, never again let God talk to us. They turned to Moses and said, don't ever let God come speak to us again. And it was the people who wanted prophets and priests in these intermediate layers. They wanted to distance themselves from God. And God says, no more. Your desire will be to know me. I'm going to be your God and you will be my people. And there will be an intimacy, a connection, a directness of knowing one another. So how can this be? How does this all happen? Well, the author of Hebrews lays it out for us. In fact, the entire book of Hebrews is spelling out how it is that the the new covenant in Jesus supersedes and replaces all the covenants that came before. But I have selected just some verses out of chapters 8 and 9, and we will hear in them how the promise of the God-man, Jesus, would make all of this happen. You know, the author of Hebrews says, listen, the God-man was to come, and he was to bear, and he has borne all of the curses of the covenant. And the God-man was to come, and he has come, and he has kept all that was required in the covenants. And therefore, this new covenant is based on better promises. Because we don't have to keep them. God's doing it for us. And it's got a better priest. Not an earthly human priest, but Jesus is our priest. And so the baby who came to be the perfect prophet, who came to be the eternal king, has also come to be the perfect priest. The one who intercedes for his people in heaven on high. Listen now as the author of Hebrews outlines all the good that came at Christmas when Jesus came. Now the point in what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places. Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old priest had as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves and Keebler elves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer um, uh, uh, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant 
so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, not to appear in the presence of God on our behalf, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. We were in darkness, but God brought light through Jesus. Listen now as our singers lead us through music from darkness into light. We're going to ask you to receive now the Lord's benediction, after which we'll remain standing and sing joy to the world, and then we will be dismissed. Hear now God's benediction. May the God who fulfills covenants on our behalf fulfill all your need. May you leave this place tonight believing that your curse has been taken away by Jesus and that the blessing he earned is yours by faith. May these truths be a blessing to you tonight, tomorrow, and forever. Because of the covenant Christmas, Let there be joy to the world. And all of God's people said, Amen. Merry Christmas.